We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there. We at BlueWire wanted to thank you for your continued support of this podcast. With over 90 podcasts across our network, we are committed to bringing you great content to fill that sport-shaped hole in your heart. To find more Blue Wire Pods, search for us on iTunes or check out BlueWirePods.com. And remember, one day sports will return and it will be glorious. Thanks for listening. On to the show. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. We're brought to you by the Blue Wire Network. We're brought to you by betonline.ag. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here, as always, with Jason Pat. Jason, we just saw episodes number seven and number eight in The Last Dance. They just ended moments ago. Uh, in these two episodes, we saw MJ's retirement uh, from the Bulls in 1993 after the 1993 finals. Uh, his first retirement, we saw uh, the murder of his father and all the scenes that happened around that. And, uh, you know, MJ talking pretty candidly about the trauma of that moment. We saw Jordan's baseball career. We saw his return to basketball. We saw the Bulls lose to the Magic in the 1995 playoffs with Horace Grant on Orlando. And then we saw everything that went into the 1996 season, MJ shooting Space Jam, uh, bringing a lot of the best players in the game to play against him in training sessions that summer while he was shooting the movie. And then we saw the 72-10 and 10 1996 season the championship on Father's Day. These were two emotional episodes, Jason. How are you feeling after they just ended? What were your biggest yeah, takeaways? The, yeah, these were definitely very emotional, pretty heavy stuff. Kind of mixed in with some also like light, more lighthearted stuff, I guess. Because like, especially that episode seven, because you mentioned the talk about like the murder of his father and his retirement. And they, and they talked about the conspiracy stuff. They talked about the gambling. One thing we saw that kind of the media pushing the stuff which was kind of gross about how like they were speculating about 
was like uh, MJ's father like murdered because of Michael Jordan's gambling problems. They kind of dove into that. And I know a lot of people were reacting to that about just like how like, kind of irresponsible that was. And obviously you can, at this time in the world where we kind of see a lot of conspiracy theories being big and all that kind of stuff. So, and to see like the, the, the media handling it like that back, even back then was kind of crazy. Uh, so the fact that they dove deep into that, and like you said, yeah, MJ was pretty candid. Obviously, his father meant a lot to him, played a huge part in his life and his upbringing. So to see all that, and then they did kind of go into, after the retirement, they talked about the whole the gambling conspiracy. They had David Stern, God rest his soul, talk about how it was nonsense. And he there was he had some great line where he used a bunch of goofy words to like say that this was nonsense. There was another guy, I can't remember who it was, basically just called it straight bullshit. Obviously, everybody put it on the record saying it was garbage. And I know Jack Silverstein, who we had on before, had a great whole great thread. He's written all the stuff about it. There's a lot of stuff out there. Roland Lazenby has done, talked about it. A lot of people out there just kind of debunking the whole the whole gambling sus- secret suspension type deal. Like, obviously, I, you, you wouldn't expect anybody to come out here and like say, oh, yeah, that's what it was. Like who knows exactly what happened, but I mean it's been pretty it's been debunked pretty thoroughly. So I, I was I was glad that they talked about it. I thought it was something it's obviously a pretty prevalent conspiracy theory out there, even though it's been debunked a lot. So I thought that was interesting and it was great to have David Stern on the record there, kind of sh- kind of shooting it down. And I mean, when you really think about it, I mean it doesn't make any sense. Like, why would David Stern suspend a great fucking Michael Jordan like that at that time? Like it's pretty crazy, but yeah. So, so you go from like that kind of stuff, the murder, the conspiracy. And then we saw the stuff with like MJ and the practice stuff and shitting on Scott Burrell, which I was just kind of laughing at. So like that, like all this stuff happened in that episode seven. So like, it just kind of was the roller coaster from like super heavy to MJ being like a dick. And then it, it practice. And then it ended with MJ giving like this whole, the episode seven ended, not episode eight, but episode seven ended with this whole monologue. And this was kind of hyped up before even the episode you're showing about how this episode, uh, how I was going to show like how MJ was kind of a dick to his teammates. Again, we saw that with Scott Burrell and he had this whole monologue at the end. MJ did where he talks about how winning has a price. Leadership has a price. And that's why he was, he challenged his teammates so hard and he, he, he played or he kept them to a certain standard. And he said he wasn't going to take anything less and he's like, now that it means I had to go in there and get in your ass a bit, he did that. And, and he says, you ask all my teammates. One thing about Michael Jordan was he never asked him to do anything that, that he didn't fucking do. And, well, he wasn't really a nice guy. He may have been a tyrant. And he's like, no, that's you because you've never won anything. He's basically calling all of us losers, which Michael Jordan can absolutely say that. Uh, and then he's like, yeah, that's basically who I was. That's like, He has no regrets about it. He kind of even broke into tears. Like He, he like kind of felt bad about it almost, like kind of realizing like, that he was so hard on him. But again, I, I feel like ultimately there's still no regrets. He ended up having to basically walk away from the interview because he was crying. And like, it clearly affected him a lot. Just like was he obviously throughout his playing career, he tried to cultivate the image of just the squeaky clean guys that everyone loved. Michael, he was super popular, but over the years where you've kind of seen more things and you've heard more stories. And obviously we've seen some of these stories in this episode about how he wasn't the nicest guy. And the Jordan rules kind of showed that as well. But the, the image he tried to cultivate and to see him kind of break down and just kind of realize that like, yeah, like he was a dick, but it, it was for a purpose and that there was a price to it. I thought that was definitely emotional. And what did you make of that whole of all that stuff? Uh, classic MJ, really. Like, <laughs> yeah. all I could think about was the parallels with Kobe, really. When oh, yeah. I was watching that, like Kobe really modeled himself 
the exact same way in the latter portion of his career. Uh, these were the episodes that I am surprised that Jordan was able to green light some of this stuff or like let it go. Uh, because like you said, like it is a commonly held conspiracy theory that Jordan was suspended from the NBA for 18 months for gambling. It was widely talked about at the time. And there's still, you know, people who talk about it, that Jordan's gambling might've had something to do with his father getting murdered. Uh, while there's no concrete evidence, obviously, uh, supporting either of those two things, I was a little surprised that it was even acknowledged in this documentary. Yeah. And then beyond that, this was where we saw, you know, I think like earlier when we heard about the Jordan rules, that was kind of like the moment in time when the shine started to come off Jordan, when yeah. like he wasn't perceived as this perfect angel anymore. But what I think like there's almost no question that he was a bigger asshole in the second three feet uh, because it just felt like he knew he had limited time in the game at that point. And Jordan said that, you know, my mission was to win the championship every year. That was the only thing I was laser focused on. Uh, so like when we think about Jordan as probably the greatest competitor in sports history, it's really the, the second three feet where I think that sets in. And it's Jordan punching uh, Steve Kerr in the face of practice, which we heard about today. It's all these other confrontations we saw between him and Scott Burrell, which weren't really confrontations. It was just Jordan straight up bullying him. Calling him a hoe. Calling him a hoe. Times. Uh, at every opportunity, just like cutting him <laughs> down. And that's the ruthless competitor you know, that I associate Jordan with. When We'll see things later, probably like his Hall of Fame speech. Uh, and really like this whole documentary is just shined a light on how petty Jordan is. I tweeted about one part where Jordan gets pissed that George Carl didn't oh come God, say yeah. hi to him while he was having dinner before the 96 finals with the Madre shot. And Jordan gives an interview to the camera. He's like, what? Yeah. Like, uh, you know, we have the UNC connection. We both spend our summers around Dean Smith. You're really not going to say hi to me, but it just goes to show how Jordan was like a great internal storyteller, very similar to the way that Kobe would later market himself. Uh, because like Jordan was always just creating slights in his head and drama in his head, even when, uh, you know, it didn't always have to be there. I think the LeBradford Smith story is another great example of that, where LeBradford Smith is a young player for the Washington Bullets in 93 is a great game. And supposedly, he says, nice game, Mike. When LeBradford Smith has the game of his life, Jordan struggles. The Bulls, as fate would have it, play them on a back-to-back the next night. And home-and-home uh, and home the next night, and Jordan just lights him up. And, you know, it's suppo- his supposed motivation was LeBradford Smith saying, nice game, Mike, which Jordan later admits to is a lie. Like, when I was watching that part, I'm like, he sounds like Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Like. <laughs> yeah, absolutely crazy. Like, just the making up slights to, like, motivate himself. You mentioned the George Carl thing. Uh, they kind of they highlighted the stuff about B.J. Armstrong when B.J. Armstrong was kind of talking shit after uh, the Hornets beat them in game two in 98. And Jordan was just, like, ready to take it out on B.J. Armstrong and the Hornets. Uh, there was 
I mean, just the, it just sh- like over and over again. Just those, some of those slides. I mean, the 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 Sports Illustrated cover when they when he was playing baseball, and I think it said Baggett Michael or something like that. And he like I don't think he's ever done an interview with them since or something like that. Like they basically been like blackballed for talking shit to him. Just so like all that kind of stuff where just like he takes the smallest thing and turns it into a way to motivate himself. Just like just like yeah, that's like psychotic shit. But like that was part of what made him so great and like whole part of his legend and all that and stuff and it was just absolutely absolutely wild like when guys talking trash to mj like we've, we've seen it across the stock like if you talk shit to mj or, or something like that we saw with the the magic as well when the magic beat him in 95 and like he was determined to come back and beat them then and horace grant obviously was part of that and somebody tweeted uh, about the the hornets i think it was I, multiple people tweeted about how like joking about how like all that BJ Armstrong shit talking. And when they, the Hornets beat them, like that's why he ended up going and buying the, the Bobcats and buying and they're obviously now the Charlotte Hornets because they made him mad then. And there was that whole scene too, where I think it was after that Hornets game where they lost and Jordan is just sitting in his locker. He's got a big stogie in his mouth. He's got like a baseball bat in his hand. And they like asked him like, are you pissed about that? And he's just like, Oh no, no. And then he's go, just goes on this whole rant about like how he's going to come out and just beat their ass. And they're just like, just like iconic stuff, but also like you said, just absolutely cr- crazy, and just th- his whole mentality was like that, and that really shined through in these episodes. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about that scene with the cigar and the baseball bat too. Uh, yeah, I mean, jo- you know, Jordan's the greatest competitor ever, right? Like that was really the secret to his success in a lot of ways, or is at least the biggest point in the narrative of his legend. I would say, right? Uh, and it's able to hold water because he never lost in the NBA Finals. And, uh, you know, we're going to see coming up the 98 Eastern Conference Finals, which the Bulls very nearly lost to the Pacers in seven games in that series. But uh, Jordan always found a way. And because of that, you know, the the legend of himself holds water even throughout, uh, you know, the revisionist history that is this documentary. Absolutely. Uh, Before we continue, let's take a quick word from our sponsors. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, BetOnline, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas straight to you. If you're missing the NFL... No problem, BetOnline has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations that you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, and bet on stock prices, even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day, all online. Just go to betonline.ag, promo code BLUEWIRE, to join today and receive your welcome bonus. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to a whole nother level. You have the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. Since they're chewable, they work even faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. So visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE and you just pay $5 of shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Right, we are back. Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast, talking about episodes 7 and 8 
of The Last Dance, highlighting Michael Jordan's insane competitiveness and just how that kind of drove it and how that's a big part of his legend, how that helped him win two straight, uh, help him win two three-peats. Uh, one interesting, I just kind of bringing it more to a current day. You, you mentioned kind of Kobe. I think it was Vinny Goodwill. He mentioned he brought up Jimmy Butler, and obviously we had we've had a lot of uh, as Bulls fans and just NBA guys guys covering the NBA in general. I mean, you see some kind of parallels with MJ's treatment of teammates as what happened with Jimmy Butler in Chicago, what's happened with Jimmy Butler in Minnesota, the infamous practice there. Uh, we know Jordan was or Jimmy was kind of a dick to. Uh, bull like the young Bulls players, and there was kind of a uh, schism in the locker room there, and he's just not the easiest guy to work with. But I f- and I feel like it, it's obviously not the easiest, the best kind, co- the best comparison there because obviously Jimmy Butler is not Michael Jordan. I feel like when you talk about Kobe and you talk about Michael, like you like to be able to, I feel like pull this kind of shit. Like you, you literally have to be able, like the best of the best, and you kind of, I, I don't even know if Michael would be like it current day and age. Like I don't know if Michael or even Kobe would be able to treat teammates like this. Now, considering all the with all the social media and and just all the media like that, like I'm kind of curious, like what would happen if like I was, it was obviously we see it like J- Jimmy Butler is addicted teammates and like huge deals made made about it. Just and obviously there was a, it was a big deal back then with Jordan rules and all that kind of stuff. But even now it just gets amplified even more. So we're just kind of curious. Just I, I was just it was just kind of interesting and just kind of just what we went through with the Jimmy Butler stuff and like take that. And like go even further with MJ, but like you like basically have to win because if you don't, you're going to alienate all your teammates. Because like all these teammates talk, like all these guys, like Will Purdue had a great quote about like how, yeah, was he like a jackass like, or like an asshole and he was a jerk? Yeah, but like, oh, it made me better. Steve Kerr talked about how the punch, like that they, their relationship grew from that. Like, I'm curious if like that kind of stuff would work today and like that kind of stuff would happen because again we we have this whole thing as jimmy is like a huge asshole and obviously jordan is kind of portrayed like that but i'm really curious like if if a player if a guy could get away with, with that today or if basically you only get away with it because michael jordan wins all the time kobe bryant wins all the time what i was thinking when i was hearing that steve kerr story is that jordan is really lucky Kerr didn't break a bone in his face like Miritich, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Because that's like the obvious modern-day parallel. Like, this just happened to the Bulls a couple seasons ago when Bobby Portis decked Miritich. Miritich had bones broken in his face. And at the time, you know, we're covering the team. We don't know what was said in that Portis-Miritich scuffle, and we'll probably never know. But I just thought, like, the force of violence against your own teammate or against just, like, anyone, really, which is like so uncalled for and so crazy, but the injury really, like, yeah. uh, you know, made you consider the severity of the action. Whereas when Jordan hit Steve Kerr, and Jordan also punched Will Purdue in practice, yeah. right? Like that was yep. during the first three, Pete. That hasn't been mentioned on this. Uh, we can't even talk about what Jordan said to Kwame Brown when Kwame Brown was 19 years old after Jordan picked him first overall. He uh, just like said some terrible things to him at practice. So, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, Jordan was obviously maniacally competitive and he could try to like spin that to be part of his legend, but, uh, both things can be true, right? Like he could have been just an absolute hazard to work around. And (laughs) even the way like BJ was talking about him before BJ went to the Hornets and pissed Jordan off with a, you know, a great game two, I think, of uh, the playoff series. 
even BJ was like, yeah, he was hard to be around. It was awful sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny because then they all come back and say, but, you know, it all made us better. So, like, I guess it does play into it. Like, you can have both things. Like, he was a crazy, maniacal asshole, but, or I believe he, like I said, he used the word tyrant. But when you win all the time, like, you can kind of get away with it. So, it, just, it was very thin line there, obviously, because if the Bulls would have lost more and they lose in the finals, they come up short all the time. Like, MJ's not getting away with that shit nearly as much. And there'd obviously be a lot more, I feel like, uh, drama around those teams as much as there already was. So, so yeah, uh, moving on. So some of the, the other stuff that we did see in this in these episodes, like you mentioned, we saw Michael Jordan playing baseball. One of the things that they kind of tried to obviously in a Michael Jordan documentary, they're kind of they're going to try to spin his baseball days as good. Like, what do you like? I, I guess it's hard to say like what to make of his baseball career because like he hit two hundred two. Like his numbers look absolutely terrible. But a lot of people are like, we know like he did this after being an, an NBA superstar. He goes straight to Double A. And to hit 202 was like this huge accomplishment. Do you think? Do you think that is like an incredible accomplishment to go from pl- dominating? Obviously, he was a good baseball player growing up as well. So it's not like he was just like all of a sudden just like picked up a baseball and like started playing. Like he obviously was very good before, but to go from dominating the NBA to going to Double A and hitting 202. And I know he also did pretty well in the fall league after playing after that minor league season he started to sh- show some more and I, I think it was jerry on this episode and i know terry francona i think said it that they think that jordan could have gotten to the majors like uh like what do you, i guess what do you make of mj's baseball sp- stint would you call it a success i guess i would call it a success just because like it almost it helped him recharge the bat- batteries for basketball but i feel like that a lot of people are trying to sell that sell mj's baseball as like this huge accomplishment for what he did what do you what do you think of that uh, no, I don't think so. I saw somebody tweet <laughs> advanced stats 23, one of my favorite follows on Twitter, Sky Phil. He said that uh, MJ had a sub 600 OPS. Yeah, it was bad. It was like 560. So, like, <laughs> I know that the way they're spinning is that Jordan was getting, you know, rapidly better. And Ryan Storff even said, like, this guy went from not playing baseball between ages 18 and 31. I would like to, I would have liked to heard more about Jordan's high school baseball career like was Jordan playing baseball as a senior in high school was he playing as a junior in high school uh because he was obviously a huge basketball talent at that time he was a McDonald's All-American as a senior out of high school uh he was already in North Carolina recruit so I'd be interested to see like you know did he actually play baseball as a high school senior how good was he uh yeah it was just like I think that in some ways what he did was impressive, but that doesn't mean that it was a success, right? Uh, yeah. And it shouldn't be totally shocking considering the guy is widely considered the greatest athlete who ever lived. That you know, yeah. he was able to have what, like a 13-game hitting streak at the start of his double A career and uh you know the that i actually did not know i did not know that he like started hot and then they started throwing him curveballs and then he was fucked <laughs> but yeah i guess it makes sense exactly so like that's the other thing uh this episode said and that i had heard before but it's always good to reinforce it that like mj's biggest problem is he just couldn't hit a breaking ball yeah. so he had to go back to basketball <laughs> uh it's funny to think about we had some great context on this part of jordan's career when jack silverstein was on you can go by- back and find that episode, he also wrote a long story on the 45 days between like the end of Jordan's baseball career and his return to basketball. So go check all that out if you're interested in uh, that chapter of his career. And uh, yeah, it certainly was really interesting. Yeah, because this doc definitely did, I feel like kind of went through his return and like what happened with like leaving baseball 
and coming back. I feel like they kind of went through that kind of quick. Obviously, they just don't have the time. I mean, this documentary, I've seen complaints about stuff that's been left out. This documentary could easily be, whatever, 20, 30 hours. They obviously kind of went through this quick. They obviously brought up the I'm back facts on how he was. He kind of joined a BJ Armstrong and was playing a one-on-one. I think he I think he like went to a Warriors practice at some point. They obviously, they obviously did kind of go through that quickly. Please do go read Jack's stuff. Listen to our pod as well. Obviously, a ton of stuff there. Uh, it was kind of see him coming back. I didn't realize the story about uh, that he had his shorts on backwards in that first game back. Like it was obviously very, very emotional. The whole comeback. He struggled. He started like zero for six against that in that Pacers game. Uh, I mean, obviously again, super emotional in his first basketball game back after his father had been murdered a couple of years ago. And then he had the double nickel game. Like in a, f- a few games after that, and he had he had a game winner against the Hawks. He had the double nickel nickel game. Obviously, he the. <laughs> in that magic series did not go well for him. Uh, or at least he, he put up great numbers, but that, that game one, I think when Nick Anderson steal, uh, then that other turnover where he did not, he passed up a game winning shot and tried to pass it to Pippen. I think and he threw it away. That just kind of reminded me how goofy, like the discourses these, these days when like LeBron passes up a shot to make the right play to a pass and it, and it doesn't work out. Like, Oh, Jordan, Jordan's done it too. Like it's not just LeBron James, but, uh, yeah, he, he and then he changed numbers. He went from forty five to twenty three after that game one because he was it's like done with it. And I'm pretty sure he played pretty well the rest of that series. Just didn't quite have the legs. The team wasn't as good. They didn't have Horace Grant because he was on the Magic. We kind of mentioned that before about how that kind of helped motivate him. They ended up getting Dennis Rodman. They go win that whole next year. But that yeah, that, the whole comeback story is obviously great. Um, I guess before we even move on to that, the year that he was gone, they did they did spend a little time on that 93-94 season, and they kind of showed how Scottie Pippen took over. They uh, showed t- Tony Kukoc finally comes over after all that time. Kukoc comes, Jordan is gone, which is kind of funny. Jerry Krause had a – the guy couldn't help himself talking about Kukoc, and I think he had some comment about how, like, you know, like all these kids in Europe, they, like, want to be like Tony, like, kind of, like, like riffing on the, the be like Mike stuff, just like, Jerry Krause fucking loved him some Tony Kukoc. And then that kind of that led us into that 90, that infamous game three against the Knicks, 1994, uh, when Phil Jackson draws up that play for Tony Kukoc and he gets the game winner. Scotty basically quits on the team. Uh, he sits on the bench, refuses to go in with those 1.8 seconds left. Tony hits the shot. And it was just kind of surreal to see, like, they hit that shot. But then, like, afterwards, they show Phil in the locker room and he's just like, he's just like, He's upset. Bill Cartwright upset. He broke down in tears, like with a speech to the team. That whole thing was kind of surreal. Uh, I just just like imagining your star player, MVP candidate Scottie Pippen, after like all he's done for the Bulls, basically quit on the team in that moment. I'm sure some of the prior Kukoc stuff and the fact that he was a rookie that year and the long-standing kind of feud with Cross, I'm sure that kind of played into it and that pissed them off. Uh, and he had a really interesting thing at the end. He basically like kind of said that he regretted it, but that he didn't really that he'd kind of do it again anyways. Uh, so I thought that kind of all stuff that the fact that they went into that was really interesting. I know some people were upset they didn't show the Hugh Hollins call on Pippen that everyone hates and that was kind of bullshit that helped cost him that series. But I am glad that they did show and they did kind of go inside uh, that whole thing with the, the Kukoc Pippen riff. Was that that's absolutely crazy? Like I I can't remember. I'd have to go back and look, but like, when was the last time you th- think of a star player just refusing to play in with on a game-winning shot like that? Like that, that's absolutely crazy to think about. Yeah, what I didn't realize is that Kukoc had hit all those game-winning. Yeah, shots I didn't know that either. That series, so that footage was great. Uh, and you know, Kukoc six eleven, he was a better shooter than Pippen. The way I would have explained this, if I was Phil, 
is that, yes, Scotty is the best player on the team, but in this situation, Tony's skill set gives him the best chance to convert a shot there because, you know, Scotty became a better three-point shooter later in his career. Like for the 96 Bulls, he hit 37%, but that was the first time he had hit above 35%. In the 93-94 season of his threes, he hit 32% now. Uh, Kukoc's shot wasn't a three to win the game, but it was still a jump shot. No, So uh, I, I thought that, you know, the 94 season just remains totally fascinating. They introduced Pippen at the start of that saying, well, Scotty wasn't really a scorer. Well, Scotty still averaged a career high that season. He averaged 32 or 22 a game, I should say. Uh, he also averaged 2.9 steals in both seasons. Jordan was gone or mostly gone, uh, the 93-94 season and the 94-95 season. So that was really like peak Pippen physicality. He was 28 and 29 years old at that point. Uh, He was improving a little bit as an outside shooter, and he was still getting like five assists, three steals, 22 points a game. I mean, Pippen was just a total monster. And it was nice to, you know, see him get some acknowledgement as just how good he was as the alpha dog of the team when Jordan was away. He also did have an interesting comment about how kind of a little dig at MJ about like how it was like nice to not be getting ragged on all the time and how they were playing team basketball and all that kind of stuff. And that was kind of when you mentioned they were talking about like the triangle. I think Charlie Rosen was talking about how they ran the triangle to perfection that year. Uh, and they showed like this highlight reel like montage of them just passing the ball around and whipping the ball around. And you mentioned Scotty was obviously a great facilitator, even if he wasn't the best shooter then, but he just kind of blossomed into like that alpha dog and he was really good. And like, they were super. They, I mean, they went to seven games against that Knicks team. Uh, they got arguably they got screwed in that Hugh Allen's game. Like they had, they won fifty five games in the regular season. Like they had a damn good chance to even if they even if they got to all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals or all the way to the finals. Like they, I would assume they would not have beaten the Rockets if they if they somehow made it to the finals that year. But they were still a really damn good team that year. And obviously they, they did kind of fall off after that that next year without Horace Grant when he went to the Magic was I think Jerry Ryan stuff didn't want to pay him but yeah that was definitely a fascinating look at that season um if there were any other final thoughts here from these episodes obviously they showed some space jam stuff which was kind of fun they showed how they had like they was Jordan wanted to work out that was obviously before the 95 96 season so they they had all these these really intense uh like scrimmages and runs like we today like during the summer, like we see all these stupid, like Twitter and Instagram videos of all these guys doing their runs. Like back then they had th- these space jam runs at this, this dome basically where all these star players, like it was obviously space jam and a bunch of other stars were going at it and runs. So like, that was really cool to see. Um, was there anything else from these episodes? I'm trying to think if there's any, like just kind of leftover stuff. There's th- these episodes just have so much stuff, so much little stuff packed into them. Uh, we saw them beat the nets. We saw them beat Kendall Gill. I, I totally forgot that they almost lost that game one in 1998 against the, a bad, like a, not a good nets team. Uh, so that was kind of interesting. I totally forgot about that. Was there any other uh, lasting, I guess the lasting thought was one of those final images was when they, they kind of brought the whole thing full circle because that episode seven, they kind of start a lot with the uh, well. Actually, the first part is they show Craig Sager just ethering Jerry Krause with that uh, with that question. But they the, the whole stuff with the MJ and his dad and his dad getting murdered. So then, basically, towards the end of episode eight, when they win the '96 championship and they show MJ, we've all seen that that video of MJ lying on the ground in the locker room crying. I think this is the first time they've actually played. We've seen that footage with the sound, and you just hear Jordan 
bawling, like wailing, crying. And like, that was some, like, again, just kind of playing into the whole emotional stuff, the powerful stuff there. Like that was, that was really emotional to see just MJ just crying his eyes out on father's day, winning that championship after three, it was at three years after his father was murdered, him coming back. And like, that obviously just meant a whole lot to him. And we saw that in that moment. So that was super powerful stuff. You have any thoughts on that or any other final thoughts on this episode? Has there, these episodes? Has there been anything really good written about those space jams runs? Because that's what I thought was pretty interesting. Like it was introduced in the story as like, this was Jordan wanting to get a look at, you know, the best players of the league after he had been away yeah. for a couple of years. You see Reggie Miller at those runs. You see Juwan Howard at those runs. I'd like to see like a full breakdown of exactly who was there, what those runs were like, uh, you know, was, did Jordan invite these guys individually? Like what did those uh, invites look like? And I thought that that was all really interesting. Uh, what was your take on the 96 final stuff? Like, basically one of the biggest memes to come out of this episode and yes. I was having some internet trouble. Like my stream stopped for a couple seconds uh, while I was watching this part of it. But like, you know, the decision to put Gary Payton or Gary Payton demanding to guard Jordan, uh, Jordan in the 96 finals had statistically his weakest finals, probably of his six titles. And they show Jordan, he basically just like laughs <laughs> off the idea that Gary Payton could hold him down. First of all, it's absolutely bonkers that George Carl took three games. And apparently the way Gary Payton tells that he had to be coerced into doing it. Gary was like, fuck this. Like I, I'm guarding Jordan, but Gary Payton, I believe was defensive player. They did that year. And like the way that he explained it was that, Oh, well, George, Car- he, like he didn't, George Carl didn't want to use him. Like, like you waste too much energy defensively because then it would take away from his offense. But like, that's still absolutely bonkers. Like we're talking about Gary Payton, like an elite player, Hall of Famer. Like you're in the NBA Finals, the biggest level. Like you're not going to give him that assignment. And he didn't do it until game whatever four. Like you wouldn't even like the, the Bulls. Uh, they dominated game one. They won, I believe, a close one in game two. And then they got their ass whooped. They go to Seattle. They beat their ass in game three. Like you go back home down 2-0 and you're not making that adjustment to put Gary Payton on Jordan for that game three at home. Like that's absolutely insane. So absolutely crazy stuff. So yeah, Payton was basically kind of talking like, yeah, like I gave Jordan a hard time. As you mentioned, Jordan did not have the greatest finals. His shooting percentage was pretty low. I think he averaged like, he still put up good numbers, but like relatively for Michael Jordan, not that great. But yeah, and then you just get the meme of him looking down at the iPad and just then just like, the maniacal laugh. It was almost like terrifying. And then he, and then they, he, he, then he like the bug eyes looking down at it again. I mean, that's ab- absolutely iconic, hilarious meme stuff like that. Like maybe that's going to be the new crying Jordan thing, but I mean, there've been some great memes coming out of, coming out of this. And especially him, I would love to see just like a ton of re- reaction of Michael Jordan, watching guys saying shit about him and how they were like, they were matching up with them. I would, I, I would see watch hours of footage, just MJ reacting to those guys talking about that kind of stuff. I thought it was pretty funny too. They did the trivia question, like uh, during the 96 part of these two episodes. And it was like, what t- it was basically like the bulls have the best winning percentage oh, yeah. regular season and playoff in NBA history. What team has the second best winning percentage regular season in playoffs? I'm like, uh, obviously the Warriors. And it was the Warriors, but it just felt like something that like Jordan wanted in there. He's like, <laughs> hey, put in there that we had a better winning percentage for regular season and playoffs. And the directors were like, all right, yeah. It's, it's not even the 20, it's not even the 2015, 2016 Warriors. It was the 2016, 2017 team. Was, Warriors, yeah. Yeah. It was they, they lost like one, I think they won 67 in the regular season and then like lost one playoff game, maybe, because I think they, 
They be, yeah, they, I think they swept their way through the West yeah. and then like lost one game to the Cavs or right. something like that. Yeah, just absolutely dominant. Um, we're going to talk about before we're going to wrap up and talk about the current Bulls for a second. You have any final thoughts from these two episodes of the Last Dance? I thought these were probably you can argue this this pairing was arguably the best. I, I feel like I've seen that uh, kind of across Twitter. These were the ones that were hyped up the most. I feel like coming into this, just the whole documentary, I'd say they probably did live up to it. They were, I mean, again, the emotions, the roller coaster ride, some the anecdotes that we did see, I thought were terrific. There was a lot of emotions, powerful stuff. Uh, would you say these were your favorite? And then also the music continues. To be My great, whole thing with this Last Dance thing is like, it's really entertaining, but I think it could absolutely be better. Like, oh, I mean, if, yeah. Really uh, clear eyed view of everything that was going on around Jordan and the Bulls. It's very much told through Jordan's perspective. And that's why I felt like these two episodes, it was pretty interesting that they even acknowledged some of the darker controversies throughout Jordan's career. But, uh, I mean, in general, this still is definitely very deferential to Jordan. And because of that, I feel like we're not getting like the full view of the dynasty. There's, they could make another 10-part series about the stories they can't tell. Yes. Uh, but very entertaining. And these two episodes were, uh, you know, among the most riveting watches in the series so far, if not the two best. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. Um, moving on, as I mentioned, we do have some current bulls to talk about really quick here. Uh, obviously, it's been pretty quiet for the most part on... The co uh, on just they have, they they have, I believe they officially introduced I, I think it was like last week uh, JJ Polk Tim Connolly but we also did get one little bit of information from Joe Colley, the Chicago Sun Times about Jim Boylan and that whole thing no decisions have been made yet but he hinted that the new front office of Arturis Karnasovas and Mark Eversley who have said that they're going to take their time with Boylan they want to meet him in person once they can do that. Uh, that they are leaning towards making the change, which, I mean, obviously, no-brainer. You know how we feel about Jim Boylan. Uh, also, no, no surprise that Collie's reporting claims that ownership and John Paxson, they want to keep him. That doesn't fucking matter. If he truly, Karnashovas truly has his full autonomy, it should be up to him. What was really – the interesting bit of the information that Collie was reporting was that several, quote-unquote, key players ripped Boylan to uh, the new front office. He did, he did also say that some players spoke favorably, but – uh, that that was a big part of this. That several key players uh, ripped him, ripped Jim Boyle into the front office. No names were named. I mean, you could only guess who that kind of was. Uh, I would guess Zach Levine and Larry Markkinen might have been in that. I did write something like this for Forbes. Like I said, I'm not. I don't want to speculate too much, but like we obviously know Zach has had some incidents with him. He had one this year. He kind of shit talked him last last year a bit before. That, I, mean, that, I know there was that whole fine thing, which was goofy, but we know Larry Markin was frustrated this year. We know Thaddeus Young was frustrated this season. Do uh, we know Denzel Valentine? I know he doesn't really, he's irrelevant mostly, but I mean, no, we, he, he's kind of been in his doghouse. Tomas Sadoransky's had some quote, had some interesting quotes to the European media about how he's hasn't been always been. He's been kind of confused by what Boylan does. Uh, Wendell Carter, when we talked to him at Rising Stars practice, while he did speak favorably of him there, and he talked about, oh, he's one of my favorite coaches, he also said he didn't get along with him at first last year, and he kind of laughed, and he's kind of a, like, when you were asking, I believe you were asking those questions, and he, I feel like he know he realizes, and he knows just, like, what people think of Boylan, so who, who knows who it actually was, maybe it'll come out at some point, probably not, but the whole thing was key players rip Boylan, that's kind of the final straw, and like, he said, I would, I would assume at this point, them taking all this time is just basically optics, like, they don't want to fire him now without actually meeting him in person. They want to actually give him the courtesy of this person-person meeting. But 
with this new information coming out, with all the stuff we've talked about in the past, with his track record, Stefano also did a great thing on his Patreon recently about Boyle and shortcomings and how he cost the Bulls wins this year. It certainly does seem like the decision will finally be made that Jim Boylan will not be the head coach of the Bulls any longer. Which we just might have to be patient about it. Yeah, it's an easy first test for Karnaschovas to pass. Obviously, fire Jim Boylan. Uh, this story was entertaining. I thought just like seeing that blip of news that top players within the Bulls or whatever <laughs> to management and let them know that Boylan wasn't it. Uh, that's funny me but uh, <laughs> Boylan's gonna get fired I don't hate Boylan I think I'll look back on Boylan like is a with mostly good memories even though he was a bad coach because of how bad he was really led to Paxson stepping aside and getting Karnaschovas uh in here so you know I have no ill will towards Boylan but it is just kind of funny like he's obviously yeah. gonna be a goner yeah I was actually talking with my brother gonna shout out to Alex Pat my brother uh the the other day about this but like how Boylan like he's obviously awful he's bad but he, at least he was kind of like fun slash entertaining bad like he obviously made us mad we we've gotten we've done rants about Boylan but like the quotes and the goofiness like that at least was was kind of entertaining like there's some bad where it's just like boring we kind of likened like Mark Tressman as Bears coach was super boring he was awful but super, super boring. At least Boylan gives us some entertainment with his being bad. So I think we will kind of look back at this. It's just kind of like, I can't believe this guy was our coach. It was actually kind of hilarious. Uh, thank God that that's over and hopefully we can move forward there. Because yeah, I mean, just, he's just a goofball. Like he might, I think he's, a, I think he's a good guy. I think he, he knows the game. I think he cares about the team. He cares about his players. Just, he's just so clearly overmatched. And I think, especially with this report coming out and we know Karnaschovas and Eversley are smart guys. I think, they know what's going on here and that, again, they will ultimately make this, cha- this change because they know they can do better and the Bulls can do better. They want, The Bulls want to be cool again. You hire somebody besides Jim Boylan. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, to finish up here, uh, Ricky, you you've, you brought this up before, your uh, your Western Illinois run on – that's NCAA 2K8, correct? Mm-hmm. You just became a national championship champion finally. How does it feel? Uh, I just think the whole thing is absolutely hilarious. Because, uh, like, when I started this, I, I tweeted this today. Like, the first tweet that I sent in this series to, like, hype it up was, got a real dumb blog post coming. And then that transitions to me doing this for it was the eighth season. Uh, I did a live stream. It was on Twitch. I had never done Twitch before. I was streaming it on my phone. It wasn't like super technically advanced at all, but there were no technical difficulties, which was great. And yeah, uh, it was amazing. It was hilarious because we had 7,200 7, people watch at least part of the stream. At one point, there was like 2,400 people on the stream as we were winning the national championship and I was just getting constant feedback, man. I just felt so like overwhelmed while watching the game because part of me felt like I had to be like reactive to it. Anyone who watched the stream could probably tell I was trying to channel my inner Tom Thibodeau uh, <laughs> in my reactions to what I was watching. And yeah, I mean, the Twitter was blowing up. John Hollinger was tweeting about my fictional center Deke Van being the greatest <laughs> fictional athlete since you know, someone else he mentioned, some kickboxer. Uh, and I'm just like, this is so bizarre. Like, John Hollinger doesn't follow me. Why is he watching 
me simulate a video game from 12 years ago. And it, it was just so strange, man, but so awesome. Uh, it was really, really fun. And my team kicked ass. We won the national championship by 20. So I won the title with Western Illinois. I'm going to continue the series. So I'm going to send an email probably tomorrow doing like a championship recap. And then eventually I'll do year nine and we're going to try to defend the title. I'm losing four senior starters. But it, it has just been so much fun like to see people react to my players. And like, I feel like, you know, one, one guy created a uh, Twitter account for my center, Deke Van, who John Hollinger was tweeting about. Aren't you selling shirts? Now, yeah, a, apparel company, Home Field Apparel, made Deke Van t-shirts that you can buy. Uh, so do that because I get a cut of the profit. So if you want a Deke Van t-shirt, go buy one. Uh, and the whole thing was just really funny. Like, I don't know if it's going to be able to sustain interest. I hope it does. Uh, but it's hard to imagine it ever getting better than that live stream. I felt like I really hit on something with people starved for sports, with people obviously locked down in quarantine, and maybe just with everyone liking a Cinderella story, uh, that there was just like some great energy going on last night. And then I got hammered afterwards. <laughs> Because uh, I felt like I had to, like I had to celebrate. Yeah, got to celebrate. So I just started chugging Malort on camera because I guess that's a good idea. Uh, and I was very hungover today, but I did not throw up as everyone in the chat was uh, joking that I would do. But just a fun night and really silly and reading all the comments from everyone made me super happy. You can subscribe to the series uh, for email updates at rickyodonnell.substack.com. There's over 7,000 people subscribed to the uh, mailing list, and I'm going to keep doing it. So what a weird night, man. I'll never forget that. Super memorable. I hyped, I did a score appearance before the game. My buddy Mike <laughs> Rutherford dropped a hilarious hype video that you have to watch, uh, basically doing like a radio voiceover. He recorded it in a real radio studio in Louisville, uh, hyping oh up the Final Four run. So that was hilarious. I never thought I would appear on the score to talk about me playing a video game from 13 years ago. Steve Rosenblum <laughs> seemed really confused while we were like going through this, but they asked me to do it, so I did it. Uh, yeah, why not? Just wild, man. Super, super fun. And thanks to everyone who has read the series or who has shared it with anyone or donated especially. So it's been awesome. Awesome stuff, man. Uh, I think that's all, all here. I, I, it's funny. I'm kind of rewatching the last dance real quick, and they just showed the Jordan retirement thing. I told that was like a madhouse. They had like Tom Brokaw there, and they showed all the people watching it. That was one thing I totally forgot to mention earlier. Just like how bonkers, just and surreal that retirement was, and him retiring at that point. And it was absolutely crazy. So that that's my final thought there. Just that MJ retirement ceremony, and like Jerry and Ryan started talking about how he was like happy about it. It's like you're full of shit, man. This is you absolutely hate this, but. Uh, yeah, these are great stuff from Ricky with Western Illinois. Great episodes of The Last Dance this week. Uh, it's kind of crazy to think that we are basically done with The Last Dance next week. We've got two episodes left. Uh, I hope they do some like some follow-up because there's obviously so much stuff that we've kind of talked about how they can make 10 more hours or 20 more hours with all the stuff they have. Uh, I hope there's some kind of follow-up there because it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel like we've, we've been doing this for four weeks now and we got two episodes left next next Sunday to finish this thing up. Hopefully they do some more follow-ups and stuff with that, but we will obviously be with you again. We will be recording after those last two episodes of next week. 
uh, next Sunday. Uh, if any bowl stuff happens before that, uh, we'll probably do emergency then. Maybe they'll actually fire Jim Boylan, but I doubt it again. It sounds like they're going to, they want to be able to meet with him in person. We still don't know when the Bulls will be able to go into uh, go back to the Advocate Center. I know some some uh, practice facilities are opening back up. They have opened back up. It's but here in Illinois, that with some of the stricter stay-at-home policies, I'm not really sure when the Bulls are going to be able to go back. Obviously, we're pretty sure that they're going to be done this season, but we will see about that, and we'll we'll wait on news on Jim Boylan. And until then, we're just gonna enjoy these last two Last Dance episodes. So uh, we will talk to you guys next week. As always, shout out to Blue Wire, shout out to Bet Online, shout out to Blue Chew, our sponsors. Thanks to them as always. Go listen to all the other great Blue Wire pods across the network. For us here at Cash Considerations, please rate and review us. We're out there listening to your pods. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all those good places. So for Jason and Ricky, National Championship Coach at Western Illinois, the Leathernecks, this has been Cash Considerations, H. Kyle's Podcast. We will talk to you guys soon. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.